Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The Bible reading for this morning is from Luke, um, chapter 24, verses 33 to 53. And it can be found on page 1062 of the Church Bibles. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Well, good morning. Let me add my welcome to Paul's. It's great to have you with us. uh, And um, wonderful to be able to look at this um, text from Luke's Gospel together for the next few minutes. Do um, keep it open in front of you. We're going to be looking at a number of the details um, on our way through for the next 25 minutes or so. As we begin, why don't I just pray for the Lord's help? And so let's pray. Our Father God, as we've sung already, we pray, would you show us Christ this morning, please? God, reveal your glory to us through the preaching of your word. And we pray that every heart this morning might confess that Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been said that we live in an age of doubt and uncertainty. Um, The author Mark Mennell, who'll be known to many here, um, former Fullwood resident, um, writes this. um, 21st century people no longer seem willing to trust those in power. We no longer instinctively respect the institutions we once revered. We seem inured to betrayals of trust and fear commitments of any kind, whether personal or political. 
an age of doubt and uncertainty, it's been said. And of course, doubt can be a positive thing in some contexts. I don't know if you're familiar with the website moneysavingexpert.com. I was looking at that this week, and um, let me just say, um, if you're not familiar with it, that will be the only product placement in this sermon, so so you can um, sit easy. But I I was on there, one of the most common... um, most common topics on Money Saving Expert is um, the question of whether this or that deal is too good to be true. See, it's, um, it's not a bad thing to doubt always. Uh, no one wants to be naive or taken for a fool, particularly when something just seems too good to be true. Uh, but on the other hand, doubt can be a profoundly negative thing. It can be painful and paralyzing. It can leave us joyless and uncertain. I was talking to someone uh, recently, a student, about how they just feel frozen when it comes to thinking about their future, frozen with uncertainty, not sure what to do, not sure what they should invest their life in. And we see it again and again, don't we, that doubt can be paralyzing and painful and, and leave us joyless, whether it's in the realm of, um, uh, of politics or sport uh, or in, um, in the world of work. Again and again, doubt can be something that leaves people just paralyzed, not sure what to do. And of course, uh, living as we do in an age of uncertainty and doubt, Christians will experience doubts about their faith. Now, we're all different. Uh, Some will be inclined to feel doubt very often. Uh, Others, perhaps, it'll be something that's much more infrequent. But living in the age that we do, every Christian, I take it, at some point in their life will experience those doubts. Is it all true? Did it really happen as reported? Does it really mean what I think it means? Uh, We're um, finishing off our series at the end of Luke's Gospel, thinking about life after the resurrection and um, these three accounts of resurrection appearances of Jesus. And if you know Luke's gospel at all, you'll know that he wrote to give us certainty. He begins his gospel in Luke 1, 1 to 4, saying that he recorded only what could be verified by eyewitnesses and he wrote so that his readers could be certain of the things that they'd been taught. They could have confidence, certainty, assurance about the claims of the Christian faith. And we see that um, worked out in just a little um, snapshot of that reality in this section that we're looking at this morning. Uh, Here at the end of the Gospels, we have the disciples in a room, and verse 37, they're startled and frightened. Verse 38, Jesus asked them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Verse 41, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. And yet by the end of our passage, in verse 52, we see them worshipping with great joy, praising God in verse 53. And in the paragraph just before, we're going to see that they're ready to go to all nations, speaking boldly and confidently of Jesus. Here is a group of disciples who go from fear to boldness, confusion to conviction, Hearts that were troubled end filled with joy. And so the question is, what is it that will make us confident in our faith here in Luke 24? What is it that will give us that certainty and assurance of the disciples? Two big things that Luke wants us to be certain of this morning. 
The first is that we can be certain of the reality of the resurrection. We can be certain of the reality of the resurrection. So if you were here last week, there are two men. They're on their way out of Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're downcast because they've seen all of the things that have happened. They've seen Jesus crucified, buried in a tomb. And um, as they're on the road, the risen Jesus appears to them. They have a meal with him in the town of Emmaus. As they're eating, they recognize that this really is Jesus. And they head off, verse 33, immediately um, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. It's about a seven-mile run. I know there are a few down at the London Marathon this morning who wouldn't struggle with that. But uh, if you're anything like me, you're imagining that they're arriving at this room, breathing heavily, panting at the exhaustion of having sprinted all the way to Jerusalem. They're banging on the door. They're led in. And the disciples say to them, it's true. The Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Do you think that was a bit of a letdown when they were bringing that exact news up to Jerusalem to tell them? But verse 35, then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And so here they are discussing these claims. People say they've seen Jesus. He's risen from the dead. And verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And you see, Jesus wants them to be certain that this really is him standing among them. Luke says, verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them. And then verse 39, Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. We're to see that this really was Jesus risen from the dead. You know, if you ask Muslim friends about the events of Easter weekend, um, they'll tell you that they believe that Simon of Cyrene was carrying the cross um, for Jesus, and there was a sort of mix-up at the last minute, and it was Simon who ended up crucified, not Jesus. All a mistake, a mix-up. If you ask the um, atheist author Philip Pullman, he'll tell you that Jesus had a twin brother and it was all a mistake. It was Jesus' twin who was crucified and not Jesus. But Luke wants us to be certain that what the eyewitnesses saw really was Jesus. Verse 39, look at my hands and feet. It is I myself Why does he show them his hands and feet? Well, it was into his hands and his feet that six-inch iron nails were driven as he was nailed to the cross to be crucified, which they saw. Look at my hands and my feet. If you know John's gospel, maybe you know the conversation with Thomas that happened um, probably just a little bit after this. You know, the disciples tell him what they'd seen, and he says, I can never believe unless I put my hands where the nails have been. And you know, that is the sort of thing that you only say if you're pretty sure that you're not going to have to do it, isn't it? Put my hands where the nails were. And yet here Jesus stands before them, shows them the nail marks and says, look at my hands and my feet. It's really me. Really the same man risen from the dead. First century people weren't fools. They weren't credulous. They knew as well as we do that dead people don't come back. In fact, they were far more in touch than death with death than we are, much lower life expectancies. They knew it. And so Jesus stands before them and shows them that it's really him. There's not been a mix-up. 
we can be certain that this really was Jesus. But notice too, we can be certain that he was really physically raised. Verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. And he says to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then, verse 40, while he said them he, this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still didn't believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, you're constantly learning new things, I find, when you get your nose into the Bible text. This week, among the many things I've learned, it's that broiling is an American word for barbecuing. So there you are. Every day is a school day. Here are the disciples. They've got their fish on the barbecue, and the risen Jesus says to them, have you got any dinner? And they give him barbecued fish, and he eats it in front of them. Why does he do that? Well, a ghost, an illusion, a hallucination, a spiritual resurrection that happens in your heart and not in history doesn't queue up to eat fish from the barbecue, does it? He shows them that he is really physically risen. Not just the wounds in his hands and his feet, but he eats dinner with them. And a hallucination does not queue up for seconds at the barbecue, does it? And you hear this sort of thing, don't you? It's the sort of thing that fills our, our hearts and our minds with doubt. Uh, I remember when I was just starting out on the process of seeing if I could be ordained in the Church of England. Um, as you can imagine, it's a long and Byzantine process. But one of the books that I was asked to read as part of that process was written by, um, by an Anglican bishop from another country, um, arguing that the resurrection didn't really physically happen in history. It was just a sort of a resurrection in their hearts. You know, it's a, it's a great line, isn't it? Because it means that you can keep wearing the cassock and claiming the stipend, even as you deny the central truths of the faith. But you see, Luke and Jesus wants us to be certain that it's not a spiritual resurrection in their hearts. It's not wishful thinking, not hallucination. Ghosts don't eat fish. And here he stands in front of them and eats a fish dinner with them. So we're to be certain that it really is Jesus and that he really physically is raised from the dead. But here's the thing, and don't miss this, even as the eyewitnesses see Jesus before them, they still are full of doubt and disbelief. Verse 41, while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, they think it's too good to be true when they see the risen Jesus. And there is one more thing that nails their certainty. And it's amazing because it's something open to every one of us. Have a look at verses 44 and 45 with me. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Do you see, ultimately, their certainty comes as Jesus opens the Bible with them and opens their minds to understand it. It's not so much just the experience of what they see 
but it's seeing that it fits into God's big purpose in the Bible that convinces them. Notice in verse 44, it's what I told you while I was still with you, the teaching of Jesus, but it's a teaching that points us back to everything that must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, what we call our Old Testament. You see, um, Jesus is showing us that if we want to be certain about our faith, certain about the reality of the resurrection, we need to be digging into the Bible, immersing ourselves in it, getting back there and seeing, yes, the witness of the eyewitnesses who saw the risen Jesus and his teaching, but also the Old Testament that is full of the promises and plan of God that his Messiah, his King, the Christ, would die and rise again. And that it's as we read the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New, that we will find confident certainty in our faith. Now, I still meet people who say to me sometimes, Andy, um, I love the New Testament, but I can't get on with the Old Testament. Too hard, too violent, too, um, too difficult, too many challenges there. And we need to see that unless we're willing to immerse ourselves in the whole Bible, we will never find the certainty that's on offer to us. If we won't immerse ourselves, we'll, we'll always be a ditherer in the Christian life, never confident. But on the other hand, that certainty is held out to us. You can be sure by digging in and immersing yourself in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New. But then also, verse 45, he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. Because, of course, it's not about how clever you are or how many PhDs you have to understand the Scriptures. There are plenty of people who are incredibly bright who totally miss the point of the Bible. And there are many people with little formal education who can see right to the heart of what it's about. And it's because Jesus not only opens the Bible but opens our minds to understand it. And so you see, certainty is available if, we, if we're willing to give ourselves to digging into the Bible, and if we pray to Jesus, open my un- eyes to understand your word. Help me to see how it all points to you. Certainty is possible, Luke says. We can be confident that Jesus, in the reality of Jesus' resurrection, it was really him, he really physically rose, and it's available to anyone as we open the Bible. Now, sometimes people will say to me, um, Andy, I could, um, I could really believe in God. I could be sure if he would just show himself to me. Maybe you've had a conversation with someone like that. If only God would reveal himself to me, then I could know. Notice how in this passage, the disciples meet the risen Jesus in person. And verse 41, they still did not believe because of joy and amazement. Now, they think it's too good to be true. Has it ever occurred to you that if God revealed himself to you in person, you would probably talk yourself out of believing in it? You'd probably tell yourself, that couldn't really have happened. That couldn't really be what I thought it was. That's far too good to be true. Jesus says certainty is available when we get the Bible open and dig in, crying out to Jesus, help me to understand it. And that is open to every one of us this morning.
And so you see, Luke says we can be certain in the reality of the resurrection as we open the Bible. But then um, secondly, second big thing he wants us to be certain about, um, Luke says we can be certain about the implications of the resurrection. Certain about the implications of the resurrection, what it means for us. Have a look at verse 46 with me. Jesus told them, this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Well, at least two implications of the resurrection that Jesus wants us to be to be confident about um, in this uh, section as he speaks to those first disciples. Firstly, that Jesus really is the king who can rescue us. We can be certain that Jesus is the king who can rescue us. And that's what, in verse 46, when it says um, Christ or, or Messiah, depending on which of the church Bibles you've got in front of you, those two words mean the same thing. Um, uh, one is a Greek word, Christ, the other a Hebrew word, Messiah, but they both mean God's anointed king, the one that God has chosen to rule for all time and over all people. And Jesus says to them, as he opens the Bible and opens their minds, they can be confident that he is that king who suffered, who rose from the dead, and verse 47, repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. See, the Bible says that when we die, uh, the reason that we die is because we've turned our backs on the God of life. And we heard it so clearly put by Polly earlier on. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created. And it's because we do that, reject or ignore the God of life in the world that he created, that we're cut off from life itself, that we die Now, here is Jesus who comes on the pages of human history and claims to be God the King who can forgive us if only we'll come back to him. That's what repentance for the forgiveness of sins means. Repentance is just turning around, turning back from following other things to have Jesus as your King. And here is Jesus who says, if only you'll come back to me, every way that you've rejected God can be forgiven and you can have eternal life with him. Now, how do we know that that's true? How can we be confident that he's good for that offer? Um, Well, look, um, I'm not very good at diet books. Any keen dieters here? Um, One one or two nodding heads. Maybe there are one or two who uh, um, are quiet uh, dieters who don't want to nod as well to that. But um, I'm not very good at the whole idea of diet books. I was trying to remember who it was who said um, that they always try and have two or three diets on the go at any time because they find that if they only do one, they don't have enough to eat. So so I'm not a great dieter. But um, I take it that when you look for a diet Um, a diet book, you don't pick the one that was written by a sort of enormous uh, guy who's never lost a pound in his life. You probably go for the celebrity chef who's, um, who's gone from being enormous to losing stones and stones through doing the diet. See, they've gone ahead of you. They've demonstrated that it works. Um, you know that you can trust it for that reason. 
And now here is Jesus who says that he is a king who can forgive us and give us eternal life with God. And he died on a cross in our place so that we could be forgiven. And he punched through death in history to demonstrate that forgiveness and eternal life is available. Let me ask you this. Whose hand do you want to place yours in at the moment of your death? Because I want it to be the one who has conquered death and come through the other side, the one with nail marks in his hand. And you see, Jesus says, as he opens the Bible with them, they can be confident in the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins precisely because he is risen from the dead as the scriptures teach, as he opens the Bible and opens their minds. You know, every Christian will go through times of, of doubt in their life, maybe um, a doubt about God's forgiveness. I was talking to a student recently, and um, he, he was saying um, uh, just the, the battle against sin in the Christian life, feeling like you mess up time and time again and have to keep coming back to Jesus, and so hard to believe in the midst of the battle as you say sorry and come back to him again for the same thing, that Jesus could still love you and still forgive you. And yet we know that he does And we know that he will if you come back to him because he punched through death to eternal life. He rose from the dead and so we can have confidence in the message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If you want to be forgiven, you can with certainty by coming to Jesus in repentance. But then notice too, um, we're to be confident that this age we live in is the age of worldwide proclamation of this message. Verse 47, repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, Because Jesus has risen from the dead, um, he is God's king for all time and over all people. And so his message of repentance and forgiveness must be preached to all nations. And we see this wonderfully in Luke's second gospel, the Acts of the Apostles, as the gospel explodes out from Jerusalem to nearby Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Uh, Notice it's a speaking word, isn't it? Verse 47, the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. It's a message to be spoken about, shared, gossip about, proclaimed, heralded, declared. It's something you tell people. Jesus is the king who rescues, who forgives. But here's a question for you. Look at that phrase in verse 47, all nations. Who does that phrase exclude? Who can you think of that the phrase all nations excludes because you know I can't think of anyone young or old whatever their culture religion background whether they live in Sheffield the UK or on the other side of the globe every one of us belongs in that term don't we all nations now we live in a culture that doesn't quite see it this way you know um 
when I, uh, when I first became a Christian, I think, I think about my sort of close group of friends, and we probably could have been on a sort of poster for kind of multiculturalism or something like that. So, um, so, my, so my best mates um, uh, included um, a, a conservative Muslim, a liberal Jew... Actually, it also sounds like it could be a joke, doesn't it? But it isn't. Um, uh, an Irish Roman Catholic and several, um, several convinced secular atheists. And um, we live in a culture that says of that group of friends, some of them it's sort of okay to talk to about Jesus. You know, maybe the, the, the nuns, the no religions, or maybe the secular atheists. But, but others are offside because they have their own um, culture or religious beliefs or whatever, it would, be, um, it would be offensive to speak to them of Jesus. But you see, Jesus says that the plan of God in this age is for his message, his rule, and his offer of forgiveness to be proclaimed to, in his name to all nations. See, none of those friends is offside. If Jesus is God's king for all time and over all people, then everyone needs to hear. And we can be certain of that because God raised him from the dead so we can be sure. It might be that as you think about that um, guest service next Sunday, that um, immediately in your mind, you can think of the people who would be an obvious invite and the people who definitely wouldn't. But you see, we live in an age where both of those people need to hear about King Jesus and where our job as Christians is to proclaim to them. So why not ask them both this week that question, what one thing could God give you? And Paul will look forward to uh, the email with your responses on there. But you see, we, we can believe this with confidence And we need to know that. We need to know that um, these implications are things we can believe with confidence because um, so often it's as we open our mouths to speak of Jesus that we find the doubts start to to crowd in. And that's the point at which um, uh, we're just tempted to keep quiet. But notice too, this isn't a great burden because Jesus goes on to say in verse 49 that he's going to clothe these first witnesses with power from on high. Uh, We see it in his second volume in Acts chapter 2 that this is talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit that will be given to all believers. I was talking to someone this week about this very topic and and they were saying the thing is this, this call to speak to all nations is just quite hard, isn't it? You know, some people are easy to talk to, other people, are, uh, it's just really hard to think it's a call to speak to them. And yet Jesus says we're to do it, we can do it with confidence, with certainty, because God will help us. God's Holy Spirit helping us to declare what those first witnesses saw and what it means. So then, let me, um, let me ask you as I close this evening, where is your Uh, this morning. Where is your heart this morning? Uh, It might be that you're here this morning uh, and you'll say, actually, it is. It's full of doubt and uncertainty. And and I lack that joyful confidence of the disciples at the end of this passage. Uh, It might be that you're here this morning and actually you're feeling much more certain about things. But as I close, can we see in Luke 24, Jesus says, and Luke records for us, that certainty in your faith to be sure, to be confident of these realities is possible 
we can be certain that Jesus really did rise from the dead and we can be certain of the implications of that. And it comes as we dig into the Bible, Old Testament and ye. Amen. Well, let me pray. Our Lord God, we pray that you would indeed give us this certainty, this confidence in the reality of the resurrection and its implications for us so that our hearts would be full of joy and our mouths would be open to speak of Jesus in his name. Amen.